Welcome to the Spirituality of Strength Training with your host, Anna Willard. This podcast is dedicated to bring you knowledge, wisdom, inspiration, and guidance to wherever you may be on your health journey. For those who are new to me, I am a kettlebell strength coach, a movement nerd ninja, and an empowerment coach on a mission to bring you hope through our health. The root word of health comes from wholeness. The root word of wholeness comes from holy. Despite our differences with religion and spiritual beliefs, we are all human beings with a body that is designed to reflect this holiness through our health. It wasn't until my seventh year as a health profession where I went into a deep awakening of understanding what does it mean to train my spirit and to heal my spirit through the physical. You'll hear a little bit more about my story from other health professionals, from strength coaches, psychiatrists, spiritual gurus and leaders, to other people who talk about the importance of our health as a community body and the health of our planet as well. This podcast is to allow us to step into our whole health, mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Thank you for being here. If you love what you hear, I encourage you to subscribe. If you want more inspiration and quotes from these podcasts, I encourage you to follow me on Instagram at Anna underscore Willard underscore. I encourage you to do a little bit of a movement, either yoga flow, go for a walk, sit in nature as you enjoy this episode. Hey, we're going. (laughs) Hey, strong ones. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We have Michael who already is like jumped in and is eager to go. So Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now you are the, are you the creator, owner of the Kettlebell Partner Pass organization certification thing? What is this? (laughs) Yes, yes. Uh, And what it is, is it's it's still uh, being explored and understood. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so it 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 is my baby. Uh-huh. Um, I'm not the first person to ever throw a kettlebell. Right. So I, that, I'm not claiming that. Um, <laughs> so that I didn't invent. But what I what I did innovate is the progressions and um, the patterns. Okay. So the patterning and the progressions. Okay. So a lot of the listeners um, on the show have trained with kettlebells or are intrigued with kettlebells. So can you explain just the mechanics, <laughs> the mechanics of what the partner pass is if no one has seen it? Yeah. So, okay. So the partner pass is just basically uh, the two hand swing. And instead of uh, the float at the top of your swing, you're actually letting go of the bell and you're passing it to your partner. And, uh, they are catching the bell and returning it to you. And this is done for as many reps as you decide or as long as you can. Uh, the test to, for certification uh, is actually an hour straight of passing, no stopping, no dropping. That's intense. It is intense, yeah. 
Now, why an hour? Is there, is that more of like an endurance thing, a mental thing, both? Uh, it, it, it is, it's more of a mental thing. It is an endurance thing for sure. Yeah. But, um, you're familiar with time slowing down and time speeding up mm-hmm. in different circumstances. Yeah. Um, so we all know that an hour is a long period of time, but it's not an indefinite period of time. Okay. So, um, I can hang out with a friend and the hour goes by in the blink of an eye. Mm-hmm. I can be studying something I really don't want to have to study and an hour seems like days. Right. So it's a practice in, in compression of time. It's a, yeah, it's an opportunity to uh, explore the boundaries of an hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it, and it's also a, a, uh, a process. So you can't just walk into an hour of passing and be like, all right, I'm going to throw for an hour. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could, but you know, a lot of people overestimate themselves and some people underestimate themselves and will say, I think I could probably do 20 minutes or God, I couldn't do two. Right. And usually the people who say I couldn't do two, they end up doing, you know, five to seven. And the people who say I could do 20, no problem. They end up doing five to seven. So, um, it's a practice and preparation as well. So it's a lot of things. Yeah. So with that hour has a lot, have a lot of people found that like time has sped up within that hour. Cause I know there's been times like mm-hmm. in my athletics where it's a really quick movement or yeah. quick um, performance yeah. where it felt like time just completely stopped. Um, so I'm curious if like that hour seems to go by fast and you're saying no. Not really. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's nothing fast about it. So I, I've I've been through the hour twice, and I, uh-huh. this past weekend I tested another potential um, instructor. Okay. And, and we made it 31 minutes, and that 31 minutes felt like an hour. So oh, wow. okay. Yeah. Um, in the beginning, like maybe the first 20 minutes or so, you start to feel like, oh yeah, I could do this for a couple hours. And then you hit about 45 minutes and you're just like, holy shit. Yeah. How much, how much more time? Right. So yeah. it, it, in theory, um, if, if the student is prepared and they've done their work, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, the hour should go by fast, but I, I, I haven't experienced it yet. And I don't know if it will happen because <laughs> it's just a theory, right? Right, 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 right. Yeah. So if someone were to want to get this, do they have to do the hour with you or can they do it? Like, say, like, if I wanted to do this and I have a friend who loves kettlebells and want to get or wants to train this way too, and we do, we both do an hour and send the video, is that a possibility or do they have to come it down and do it with you? Well, that's an interesting Great question. So initially I thought it would be people work with each other and then they each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I had several beta tests where uh, people were trying to make it through. So I have a 90 day protocol leading into the hour passing and they were trying to make it through the 90 days and, and find people to commit with you. Right. Or yourself, even yourself committing for that long. Uh, for a lot of people is, is not easy, but I'm also mm-hmm. trying to weed people out who don't belong. I mean, it's not for everyone, right. um, but the people who it's, who it's for, it's for. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's to be determined right now for the first, 
the first phase of instructors, they'll come through. Um, and I foresee that group the next. Oh, hold up. You, you're breaking up. Can you talk a little bit oh, more no. about? I know. Um, I think we're good. Um, can you talk a little bit more about the, the instructors who've gone through it? Sure. What would you like to know about them? Oh, well, just what you were saying beforehand. Okay. So, um, when, when I, I conceived of the idea, when I, when I was just like, okay, is it possible I had passed with a friend for 50 minutes? Okay. And we didn't, we didn't know we had passed for 50 minutes. So to your point of can time feel like it speeds up and, and the hour goes in a blink of an eye, uh, that 50 minute period did. Mm -hmm. We were also using a much lighter weight. We were using a 16 kg okay. and, um, we didn't have any intention of, of time, time frame. We were just talking and having a good time and laughing and joking. And, uh, we set the bell down and, and I just, for whatever reason, looked at the time and I was like, wow. And I said, how long do you think we were thrown? Corey says, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. 50. And so that was kind of what got my mind going and where okay. I, I really, yeah, where I really started to think, hmm, could I do it for an hour? And, and then I thought, well, a 16, that's probably just a little on the light side because that was so easy to, to get to that place. Right. So I, I had a friend down in uh, San Diego who was interested in kettlebells and and I started showing him some of the passing stuff and some juggling and things like that. Uh -huh. And uh, I told him about my idea and he, he's kind of an extreme guy. And he was like, yeah, totally. Let's do it. So I started training him for it. And, and with him, we trained for about six weeks. It was okay. about the time frame that he and I actually uh, put energy towards the hour. Okay. Yeah. And we, we completed the hour. And then. Uh, so what bell did you use for that hour? 20, uh, 12. 24 kg. So 53 okay. pounds. Yeah. 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 So, um, then I thought, okay, well, this is great. You know, I've been through it. I know what it's like, you know, people can't say it's not possible or this, that, and the other thing, or it's right. because, you know, you're a high level kettlebell practitioner and you've been doing it for so long because he hadn't been doing kettlebells. So mm. he was basically, oh, uh, he, he had done CrossFit style kettlebells. So he had done some American style swings and stuff, but it was never like the meat and potatoes of his, training diet it was more of like a you know a garnish mm -hmm. so uh i thought well i need to see if people can actually you know commit to 90 days and if they can can they pass it on their own kind of the way you were talking about mm -hmm. and i approached uh these two gentlemen in la uh mike scott and chris hook and both of them are sfgs mm -hmm. and i told them what i wanted to do and and they were on board and I put them through the 90 days at the end of each week, I would assess what they were doing, whether they were actually moving in the direction I, I wanted them to go in or if they were deviating. And, uh, for the most part, they, they were right on, on task and, and they ended up doing the full 90 days and passing. Oh, cool. But then I, I, so I thought, okay, so they're both high level. They're both mm -hmm. very skilled. So now I need to find people who aren't necessarily as skilled or maybe one is skilled and one is not, or, you know, this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I, I got three more pairs of people who were interested and I worked towards putting them on the 90 day protocol and none of them were able to make the 90 days except for a pair of females. And, uh, they did really, really well. Uh, the only thing that they didn't do was they didn't meet their minimum. So I, I basically, require a minimum of three days a week, uh, 
minimum 20 minutes. Okay. Maximum six days a week, still minimum 20 minutes. Yeah. So it's not a lot of work. It's just a lot of work over time. Right. Mm -hmm. And they didn't pass. So then I started thinking, okay, maybe, maybe this particular progression is not ideal. Maybe this doesn't um, serve where I'm at right now. Mm-hmm. So I had a friend, or I still have a friend. He uh, just one. I only have one. <laughs> well, I have two now. Right. Because we're friends, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got two. <laughs> My circle's growing. Right. Um, so I, he travels a lot. He's, he's a bit of what he likes to call a flow mad. So he, he doesn't really live any one place. Uh-huh. And so my thought process around him was, well, he's not going to be able to do the 90 days. And how's he going to find somebody who can actually, you know, train themselves to be ready for an hour. So that's not really fair. Mm-hmm. So I told him, if you get the 90 days in, I trust that you do it. You know, you're the only person that I'm going to allow this for, mm-hmm. but you do your 90 days and then I'll test you. Mm-hmm. And he said, okay, that's fair. And so we, we did that for about a year and a half. And, uh, there was a few times where he was, he felt like he was ready. And, and just recently he, he tested and he's the one who made it 31 minutes. Oh, didn't, okay. Didn't pass. So now we're going to put him on uh, a more regimented program that I'll, I'll oversee a little more mm-hmm. and be able to guide him a little further. Um, but prior to, go ahead. Well, my question is, is um, what qualifies people to not pass? Is it the fact that they drop a bell? Do they get tired? They set it down. Like, what are the criteria within that hour that disqualifies them? All you got to do is is make it to the end of the hour without dropping or stopping. Okay. Right. So you could be you. You better be tired at the end if you're not tired. Right. Like, I don't know. I don't know if on, you're human. On average, how many swings is that? Uh, I think the last guy who passed did the calculations and I think it was like 1440. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's a fair amount. Yeah. 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 So prior to the gentleman who just attempted last weekend, Uh uh, it was last Sunday, actually, uh, not the one we just had, but the Sunday before that, um, he came out. So I, I offered the same thing to him, uh, but different. Um, he, he basically, went through three partners and it just, it wasn't working out. And he's, he's very gifted at mm-hmm. partner passing. And, and I really would like for him to become an instructor. So I just said, listen, I, I, I know you've done well over 90 days because he, he trains people every day mm-hmm. and every day he incorporates it into his training. Mm-hmm. So I said, all right, <clears throat> I'll, I'll test you. And he was like, really? And I was like, I, I will test you. And he's like, okay, great. So he came out to Albuquerque to help with the workshop. And uh, before he came out, I just said, hey, you know, if you, if you want to take your test when you're here, you know, we can do that. So I totally forgot I told him that. And he comes out for the workshop. We have a great workshop. Everybody yeah. had a great time. Uh-huh. Everybody understood the, the underlying meanings of why we do KPP. Uh-huh. And... Uh, we went out and we played pinball until like three in the morning Oh no! and then we went to bed and woke up the next day and went and got breakfast. And he goes, you know, I think I want to test today. And I was just like, Oh shit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
let's do this. Yeah. So, so fortunately, uh, Zar over at Firebells was kind enough to let us use their space and their, uh-huh. one of their bells. And, and we, uh, we occupied uh, the back of their, their gym for over an hour because there's some setup and, and then of course right. cleanup. But, and he passed and, and we had some, yeah, we had some intense moments. And, yeah, I bet. Yeah, it was a, it was a profound experience. Um, I noticed uh, at the end of your email, it said, hey, who, who would be potentially good to have on your, your podcast? Well, oh, yeah. Maybe it would be good for you to talk to one of them about their experience because yeah. both of them described it as being spiritual in nature. Mm-hmm. Well, and I guess that's where my next question goes. You mentioned something about like the underlying meaning of the kettlebell partner passing. Can you explain what those are? Uh, I can explain some of what they are. A lot of it's about feel, but okay. um, what can be verbally said is it's about connection and communication. Mm-hmm. It's about vulnerability, intimacy, trust. Um, it's about entering a flow state with another human being. Yeah. Um, it's about sustaining a connection for prolonged periods of time. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, um, I like to call it the antidote for what we're doing right now. Mm-hmm. Like we, we have a, a virtual connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and as cool as it is to see you, that's why I asked you, do you do these things in person? Because I, I much prefer to be in the energy of the individual. Right. Although I, I, I do get a fairly good idea of your energy. Yeah. Um, and that's also why I asked you, hey, are you being around for the workshop in Seattle? Because I would love to. Th- oh, you're breaking up. No. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's all good. I think we got all of it. Um, you're saying about just that human connection. Um, and if I do these, human connection. these in person, and I actually did do my first um, interview in person with some of my clients. Uh, maybe it was at the beginning of the month. I don't remember. Nice. Um, but it was so much fun. So right. I think that's what the next step is. I'll take the podcast is like having people come to me. Yeah, I well, I, and I think you should because I yeah. think, or you can go to that. That's True. awesome too. Who, who knows what the future holds yeah. for me right now? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I've read a couple um posts that people have said about their experience with um, partner passing, and similar along the lines of what you were saying of that intimacy and that connection and that trust. Um, you talk a lot about how well you pass the kettlebell really sets the person up and how you like you're transferring that energy into someone else and how you return the pass. Can you talk a little bit more about like that flow of the kettlebell going back and forth um, on the physical aspect, but also how does that relate on just like an everyday life of our energy exchange to other people? Yeah, I'd love to talk about that. Um, So one of the things I often say to people is you give what you get or you get what you give. Yeah. A little of both actually. So if say for instance, you and I are throwing kettlebells and, and I, I, I don't give you a very good pass. Mm-hmm. It makes it really hard for you to give me a good pass back because you have to compensate for what I've thrown you. Mm-hmm. But if I give you, if I give you a sweetheart pass or a really good pass that not only is easy for you to catch, but really sort of, helps you get into your hinge, mm-hmm. it's a lot easier for you to return it to me in a similar fashion. Mm-hmm. So 
how that carries over is it's really all about communication. Like if, if you, if you feed me a a good question, I can give you a good answer. Mm -hmm. If you ask me something that, you know, is, is irrelevant to what we're talking about, you know, the answer is going to be maybe okay, but it's not going to necessarily promote the flow of what you're trying to accomplish with your podcast. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that people often say, especially people who, who train KPP over time is that, it applies to all areas of your life. Mm-hmm. It's not just in that moment. How you treat others ultimately is reflected back to you. Mm-hmm. So you, you you get immediate feedback with the kettlebell though. Mm-hmm. So if I throw you a great pass and you throw me a great pass back, it's not just because you're really great at passing. <laughs> it's because we created a great pass together. Right. So a lot of people think, so because I've been doing, this is my 14th year kettlebell passing. Oh, so wow. I, I can pretty much give a decent pass regardless of what comes at me. But mm-hmm. that's at a cost to me. That taxes me. But I can still do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, ideally, I'm not getting taxed and you're not getting taxed when we pass with each other. And that's, again, to your point of can the hour just speed by? Yes, yeah. it yeah. can if, if we've both done our, our individual work. Yeah. So you could take that a lot of different ways as to how that applies to day-to-day life. So this is maybe a little bit off topic, but as we're talking about passing it, my mind is going to the episode of Friends where they're passing, what is it, a tennis ball and seeing how long they can keep it going. (laughs) Nice. But (laughs) I think it also goes into the fact of just like um, the fun aspect does this bring and spark more of just like that childlike spirit of playfulness when you pass the kettlebell totally yeah that's a big part of why I do it I mean let's be honest how fun is it to just stand and do hundreds of swings I mean at first it was really cool but that was you know 2001 this is 2019. <laughs> I, I, I can only, I can only pl- play with myself so much. Right. right, right? right. I, I like including other people. So <clears throat> the thing about passing that's different is I never know what you're going to throw me. Mm. So I, I have to be able to adapt. So it's always different. So I, I can't, I can't plan my training, but I, when I'm swinging a kettlebell, I control it. I'm in control all the time. Right. So, I have to let go and I have to trust you. I have to trust myself to be able to field whatever you throw at me. Mm-hmm. And it's fun. It's a game. I, have you seen any of the freestyle stuff that we do? With a czar? Is that what you're referring to? Like where you guys are like moving and like almost like a juggle between the bell and another person? Yeah. It's like a dance kind of. Yeah. 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 I mean, that that's sort of, that's the goal. So this first wave of instructors, I want to get people to the point to the point where they can learn how to do freestyle because after freestyle comes two bells and after two bells comes three bells and after oh three my gosh. Three bells, right so i don't really have i don't have that many people that i can play with at that level right right so yeah. I, I have quite a few who i can freestyle with now mm-hmm. um and and after freestyle comes multiple partners so you have you know several people throwing the bell or several people throwing multiple bells. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So one thing, um, one of the reasons why I love training with kettlebells is because of that awareness and that feedback that the kettlebell really gives you to your movement. And I'm a big believer of like our subconscious, which I believe is our super conscious lives within our body and how that really has brought and sparked um, more of this self-awareness and really listened into what I consider to be the spirit of your body. Um, and you mentioned a couple of things I want to talk about is the importance of letting go, yes. um, when to be in control and when not to be in control. And how aware, my first question is, how aware does someone need to be of themselves and their, their own like subconscious movements to join in with partner passing? Or does that intrigue it a little bit more for people to be more in tune with their body? It's a, does it, what do you mean by does it intrigue it? Um, I guess maybe intrigue is not like the right word for the question, but does it allow people to be more in tune with their body in a way that training individually with just one bell doesn't? Absolutely. Absolutely. So when we stand face to face, the first thing that happens is I make people look at each other's eyes to let each other know that they're, they're present and paying attention. That's, mm-hmm. that's the number one most important thing. So automatically it, it demands presence of people. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times, I don't know about you, but I, I can swing the kettlebell and oftentimes at this point in my, my career, I can check out and I'm thinking about other things. But if I have somebody in front of me and I have responsibility mm-hmm. for their well-being as well as my own, mm-hmm. I don't check out. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I have to be right there. So automatically it brings more presence into the body. Um, and, and then we face fear together. So we're, we're dealing with emotions um, that you may have felt initially when you were starting to use the kettlebell, mm-hmm. but those eventually go away once your confidence yeah. builds. I, I, I never stand in front of somebody at, uh, up to this point. I have not stood in front of anyone where I'm like, Oh, I don't feel fear right now. <laughs> oh, and so if somebody tells me, oh, I don't feel fear, I'm like, either you're a sociopath, psychopath, or you're lying. Right. Right. And whatever it is, when you start passing, you, you quickly determine whether or not you want to keep passing with that person. Hmm. Has there yeah. been a time where you're like, okay, we're done. Like, like the connection wasn't there or the present wasn't there or like they just, that self-awareness wasn't there and you're like, we just need to be done and like, yes. okay. And you've got, you've got to make those calls. Yeah. Um, and those are, those are hard calls to make. Uh-huh. Um, I've had, I've thrown with friends who are having uh, partnership issues and their, their, their mind was just not there. Yeah. And they kept missing, kept dropping. And, and at a certain point you just have to call it and say, Hey, you know what? Today's not the day. Right. You need to, cause you are throwing a cannonball at each other. Yeah. I mean, let's, yeah. let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. Dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. If, if they don't immediately, and most people immediately show up. I mean, it's mm-hmm. very rare for somebody not to. And if somebody's got that much going on, they, they, they probably shouldn't be, you know, doing anything that involves projectiles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How has um, training this way with the partner passing kept you and other people more present throughout their life? Well, I, I, I commute on a bicycle. Mm-hmm. So I feel like my, my awareness is, is much broader 
than it was prior to doing this. And I'm a lot more alert and aware of my surroundings. Mm -hmm. uh, early on, when you, when you start throwing a kettlebell, your focus is on the kettlebell. Mm -hmm. And then eventually it goes to your partner. But as you grow within the system, you start to learn how to open your awareness, not just to what's happening with you, but what's going on all around you. Mm -hmm. So that's one way how it's affected me. I can't really speak to other, other people's experiences, but I hope that you have other KP peers on your show and are able to ask them <laughs> that. Because I'd be curious to know myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll have to get, get in contact with some of them for that. Um, you mentioned fear. And I guess this is more of like a twofold question because of the partner passing, there's a aspect of letting go um, and facing fear together. Can you just talk a little bit more about those two and more of like the spirituality um, and the emotional training that, that the partner training provides? So the, the, the fear, facing the fear and the letting go. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So the, the fear doesn't last very long. The fear is just initial. Okay. And it's usually the fear of being seen. Yeah. And I think in regards to spirituality, uh, most of us are not seen, even though we are these spiritual beings mm -hmm. running around in these like skin suits. <laughs> um, it's very rare that someone actually sees you. Yeah. sees that part of you because we're so focused on material stuff and it's it's drilled into us that that's what we're supposed to focus on right so that initial stage state of fear is yes there's there's a projectile coming at you that could do damage but it's also i'm not used to having prolonged eye contact with somebody yeah they're gonna see me they're gonna yeah. see the parts of me that i i i reserve for people that i i care about deeply or that i don't share with anyone Mm -hmm. and and that's actually where the letting go comes in yeah so you have to let go of that otherwise this co-creation that you're about to engage in can't happen mm -hmm. and i think it's it's very symbolic of the bigger picture and spirituality like you can't you can't have spiritual experience if you're not willing to let go of mm -hmm. material desires mm -hmm. and i'm not saying material desires are bad i'm right. just simply saying if that's a, a, a strong focus, it's a lot harder to have spiritual experience. At least that's been my experience. Mm -hmm. So um, does that kind of touch yeah. on what you're- Yeah, no, I'm in, intrigued with the fact that you said like fear is just the, you feel it just it, the initial part of it and how once you start moving, that's overcome. Goes away. Yeah, and it's, um, my mind is like, now I'm like, okay, I'm ready to try this now. Like, let's do this. <laughs> um, but it's just fascinating for me because if, and this is the importance of movement, um, physical, physical movement within the spiritual aspect of things, if we just stay there, the fear grows versus if we keep, if we move together through it and how that dissipates. Yeah. Um, and I think you touched on a really important part of just the fact of being seen um, yeah. in the physical and the fact that you, um, this forces people to look each other in the eyes, which in today's society, I don't know how many times I'll go to a coffee shop or check out and I try to, you know, engage <clears throat> and say thank you and look them in the eyes and they're just so checked out. They don't even look up. Yeah. Um, so I think that's fascinating. 
Have you had anyone get into the emotional um, aspect of this? Just because I know for my own personal workouts, most of the time I work out by myself for numerous reasons. But one of the reasons is, is like sometimes I'll end up in a pile of tears versus just sweat. Yeah. And I'm working out a lot of emotional <clears throat> stuff that I've been carrying. Have you experienced that yourself or have you had people in the partner passing get to that place? Yeah, it, it's not, it's actually quite common. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's very much unexpected. Uh-huh. People, people come in and maybe it's because I don't necessarily express to people that that's a possibility. Yeah. I generally, I generally don't. I, I, I keep it very much on the, this is an exercise system, even though that's the last thing that it is. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it's, I probably, and I, I, you know what, thanks to this conversation, I'm just going to start talking more about that aspect of it because yeah. I always feel like the exercise world doesn't want that, mm. but the reality is the exercise world needs it and possibly a coffee enema too. But that was a joke. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> You got me. You just knocked me. I thought. Like, <laughs> uh, you have a great smile. Um, you're welcome. So, in uh, all, all kidding aside, um, yeah, it, it happens quite a bit. And mm-hmm. um, it's beautiful when it happens because it brings the whole group together. Mm-hmm. And, and people see vulnerability and it gives people permission to not have to hide their, their emotions and bottle things up. It says, yeah, you know, it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay. If you aren't stiff upper lipped and, and, mm-hmm. and are able to handle everything with a smile. Yeah. Um, yeah. There there's, I don't have permission to talk about some of, of right, the of situations. Right. And I wish I did yeah. because right. uh, recently there was one that, you know, I, it touched me very deeply mm-hmm. and it was just an amazing experience to see this person let go and, yeah. and to, to feel them, you know, I, I don't know how long that emotion had been bottled up inside mm-hmm. of them, mm-hmm. but they let it go and it was yeah. healing for me. Yeah. Well, and I was, go ahead. Keep talking. I was, I was just super thankful to, to get to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. And when I, when I started doing this, I just, I had no idea what it was going to become. Right. I didn't know, but as I've done it more and more, and I've tried multiple times to to share it with the world, and and it's it's met, it was met with resistance. Uh-huh. Uh, but I think it was because I I didn't have these pieces in place, and and I wasn't ready. Yeah. You know, I wasn't ready to be vulnerable with the world and say, hey, look, this is what I have to offer, and and you know what, it's it's may not be your cup of tea. And if it's not, go, go do something else. But yeah. if it is your cup of tea, I promise you, it'll be something that will, will be fulfilling and it will be something that helps you better understand yourself in ways that nothing else I've ever done has. Mm-hmm. Well, and just what you said of how it was healing for you, I feel so convicted. Um, I signed up for a healing dance class series and this past weekend, I was just a ball of emotions felt like it was, I don't want to say out out of control, but I just didn't feel safe to be in a group of people um, and to move my body in a way that would stir up some of those emotions because I didn't know how I was going to react or how my body would react to it. Um, 
so I myself still like fight that resistance of healing, but it made me realize I let that group down to a certain degree because me showing up in that way, just as like that person did for you and how it was healing for you. And it touched you in a deep place too, because of that connection. Yeah. And working with people. And I know, um, I mentioned this on another interview as I started really diving in more into the emotional, not, I wouldn't say, yeah, I would say the emotional body of like really healing my body and really diving into understanding some of the chakras and what some of my muscle tensions and the correlations between those two, which I'm still learning um, and realizing, okay, this might be because of this emotion where my body's holding on to. Um, the more I dove into that and really specifically started training with the kettlebells with my clients, a lot of my clients started opening up to me with um, some of the abuse that they've experienced physically with like domestic violence, sexual abuse, even just like the trauma that they experienced in work. Um, so it's fascinating for me to see the correlation of <coughs> doing this type of body work and how that allows like a gateway for the voice to be feel safe almost to release it um as a health <coughs> excuse me sorry no it's all good um how do you because there's that connection how do you get back to your body after experience like that because I know there's times after I've had like a really deep session with a client or if there was a it wasn't it could be in like a deep conversation or for your experience it was just a deep movement you were moved mm -hmm. deeply how do you acknowledge that but get back to your body and not take some of their pain with you mm. if that makes sense yeah uh yeah how do i not uh do like a reverse transference yeah yeah exactly. um well there's a few things i generally do some process work and communicate with the person mm -hmm. and have dialogue and and that usually is extremely helpful especially like in a situation like the one that I was referring to, mm -hmm. it was so profound for them as well as it was for me mm -hmm. that it, when they took ownership, like there's no reason for me to misguide that energy onto myself. Mm -hmm. So I, I think in a situation um, like you're talking about, you didn't feel safe in mm. this dance class last weekend, mm -hmm. uh, perhaps, you know, you, you said you, you let the group down, but perhaps the group let you down and mm. didn't create a safe container. So I, I, so like if I was in that situation, I would ask myself those questions. Mm. So I also mm. dialogue with me, mm. like mm -hmm. did, I, did I let the group down or, or was the group letting me down? Mm. Did I, did I hold appropriate space for him or, or was I, was I projecting onto him my issues, my, my situation? Um, so that's a big way. And then, time in nature is huge mm -hmm. like being in the trees mm -hmm. at the ocean mm -hmm. um barefoot is a wonderful way mm -hmm. um have you ever floated mm -hmm. have you ever done a float tank mm -hmm. yeah i think that's a great way to, mm -hmm. to be alone with yourself and your thoughts and to kind of close yourself off from everything mm -hmm. um massage is amazing mm -hmm. but that one's a little tricky yeah because you're now inviting another energy in. yeah uh -huh. But if you have, if you have, so I, I, I like having longstanding relationships with the therapists so that over time 
I kind of can understand what's their energy and what's my energy. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I just, if I go to a new, new massage therapist, it's a little, a little yeah. more challenging because mm-hmm. I don't know them. I don't, I don't uh, recognize the energy. Yeah. It yeah. takes a while to learn it. But I think the big thing is, you know, another one for me is riding my bicycle. Mm-hmm. Um, I like getting on my bike and just riding and processing. It's rhythmic. So I get into a meditative state very quickly on it. And then right. also being in fresh air and sort of that freedom you felt as a kid when you were riding mm-hmm. your bike. So those things kind of bring me back to a time when I, I remember feeling very grounded. Mm-hmm. So I think anything that can anchor you to a time when you really felt who you were mm-hmm. is a good way to do it. Yeah. That's how that's how I do it. How do you do it? Um, well, I, I think it's a little bit different just because like my schedule, I have clients back to back. Um, so if it is a heavier session or something like that, I'll just make sure I wash my hands. Um, that's a, a habit that I always had. Um, but I think I've consciously have made of like, okay, that was then. And then I don't want to bring that energy into the next session. And so, um, I always just have really tried to focusing on just washing my hands and resetting myself that way. Sometimes I'll get a, like, um, a mist and spray my face just to get a, like a fresh perspective. Um, so I think those are some of the ways that I have done that. Um, I find it sometimes interesting. My body will crave, um, beets, um, like a rooted food. Um, yeah, I crave beets all the time. I don't know what that all means, but (laughs) how how do you you eat your beets? uh, Just whole foods. It's like roasted, roasted whole foods beets. Okay. Do you ever eat pickled beets? I don't think so. You're breaking up now. What were you saying about? You're back. What were you saying about pickled beets? I was saying that I, I, I hope you try them. Okay. If you do, I would love to hear about your experience and what your thoughts are. Okay. I'll, uh, I'll make note of that next time at Whole Foods. We'll pickled beets. Pickled beets. <laughs> yes. Um, do you have any, um, if you're willing, um, any personal stories of how training with kettlebells have helped you heal some of um, possible either trauma or hard situations in life um, in that emotional aspect? Sure. Um, well, they definitely have helped me transition out of relationships, so mm-hmm. endings of relationships um, and deaths. Mm, uh, yeah, I, I I use I use kettlebells to process. Um, I definitely have found that with the passing, it's more um, it's more grounded because I have a witness to see what I'm going through. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's definitely a powerful way that I like to to utilize them. Um, I would say death even well and ends of end of relationships is a form of, of it's death. a form of death i was just going to say let's dive into this death conversation i don't know this might sound morbid but i love talking about death just all right i'm 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 a huge fan okay so <laughs> start. We, can, we can talk about death all night all right um, um but this is one thing and i look at nature and um my sisters and i the, it was back in 2015 we did a big road trip down the 101 and went and spent some time in the redwoods. And there was this one ginormous tree that 
had fallen and it was dead. Um, but it was still giving so much life to the ecosystem. Um, and I just sat there and just like was in awe of this tree and how much it was still giving, even though technically it was dead. Yeah. Um, and so I thought through that time, I was like, death brings life. Um, Absolutely. Can you add and, on to that? I'm curious of like your thoughts on that. Yeah. Well, death is life. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing. Like I used to look at it as it's a separate thing. Like mm -hmm. you live and then you die, but living and dying are part of the same experience. Right. And uh, so I, I used to, I, I lived at a monastery for a while and the monks, one of their daily practices is to meditate on death. Oh, and I thought, yeah. And I, and I, I was like, well, is it in relation to scripture? Is it in relation to, you know, you know, something that's in your tradition? And it, it wasn't, it was just death. Like, uh -huh. what is death? What does it mean? You know, what does it mean to me? Where am I in relation to death? Yeah. And you know, it, it's, it's one of those things that we don't really think about that often, mm -hmm. but when you start thinking about it on a regular basis, or if you haven't, have you had any near death experiences? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you have a near death experience and, and those types of things, they, they put you into a different mind frame or perspective, mm -hmm. or you, you watch a loved one or loved ones die. Mm -hmm. um, if you're lucky enough to see a loved one pass and they're at peace with their passing, you recognize it's not an end, it's a beginning. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you see this. Oh, I am yeah. so excited you're saying this because I'm like, yeah! <laughs> Honestly, like, I think, like, I hope I get to a place in my life where I know my life is coming to an end and I can look at it and, like, this is the greatest adventure of it all. Like, this is the greatest unknown. Yeah, like, what's, what's on the other side? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, with the concept of death and yeah. what? You know, I said, yeah. Oh, like, um, I'm active I, listening. Okay, great. I'm not used to that. <laughs> um, no, it's all good. Um, <coughs> I find that if you allow either a death of a relationship or if you experience the death of a loved one, how that can spark and ignite something new within you that you didn't even know. Have you found that to be true with your experiences? Yeah, every, well, yeah, pretty much every death of, of a loved one that I've experienced in the last 20 years has added to my, my path, has mm -hmm. either shown me a direction or asked me to step up in a way that I didn't know I could or mm -hmm. um, to, to bear witness to emotion that I, potentially wouldn't have experienced otherwise. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it, I think it's a, an initiation of sorts when you lose loved ones. Mm -hmm. um, it's not a fun one, but it is one. And it, it does ask you to either choose to, to go deeper into sleep or, or to, to fully awaken to life and, mm -hmm. you know, appreciate what you have available to you moving forward because you don't know when it's going to end mm -hmm. and that's that's the big the big learning is like the only thing we have is this moment right mm -hmm. so i mean this this could be my last conversation <laughs>
right? So mm-hmm. I, I want to enjoy it. I want to have fun. I want to, I, I want to, you know, be as much of a light as I can, regardless of what's going on in my life. Mm-hmm. And, and to be able to pay honor in a way to the people who've mm-hmm. gone before me, who helped raise me and who, who made, even if they didn't help raise me, helped grow me, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I think I think we we lose sight of what's important, but I think a, a, a healthy dose of death will put that right front and center. And and as hard as it is, and as challenging as it is to deal with grief, um, I think those are the things that sort of recalibrate our compasses and show us what our true north is. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know Alan Watts or are familiar with him? Never met him, but I I. I I do know who Alan Watts is. Yeah, because he talks a lot about the importance of like how we should think about death and what that like brings up in our mind of like, well, I haven't, a lot of times when I do that, I'm like, well, I haven't done this. I haven't accomplished this. And that gives me like that motivation of like, oh, I really should get like my butt in action on some of these things, right? Um, With that said, what's the balance between mourning the death and then taking action after a death? Do you know what I mean by that? Mm -hmm. So what I think you're asking is um, like how, how much time and energy do you put into the mourning Mm -hmm. of it? And at what point do you uh, step back into your life and and not let it be an excuse to not live? Right. Mm Mm-hmm. I think that's that's a great question, and I think that's a very uh, personal question, and I think it depends on your relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, I think sometimes it just overtakes you. Mm-hmm. I think some some grief and mourning is is bigger than we could have possibly imagined, and maybe we've prepared ourselves for the passing of certain people, mm-hmm. and when that passing comes, you know, I. I I think you should you should take action immediately, but I think you should honor the morning. And if it's incapacitating, action could mean not doing anything. Mm-hmm. Act, action could mean, you know, isolating yourself for a little while and, and really feeling it. Mm-hmm. Action could mean reaching out to a loved one and and asking if they have the time, space, and, and uh, emotional availability to support you through a process. Mm-hmm. Or it could just mean pretending like it didn't happen and just keep walking forward until you have the strength to deal with it. Mm, but I don't yeah. think there's really a, a, an adequate answer for your question, but I, mm-hmm. I do believe that um, probably one of the worst things we can do is, is uh, try to avoid it with things like drugs and alcohol and, and sex or whatever else we use to, to mm-hmm. not feel that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And even, I mean, even exercise can be a place where we numb our body. So any form um, of anything that numbs our body away from the pain, I think that's where we're denying our own healing process through feeling and acknowledging the pain of death, of either a physical death or um, a death of a dream. I am something I talk about in my book is about like the importance of mourning a dream. Like even if you had a dream and it doesn't come to true what you thought it would be mourning mm. that um it could be you know a mourning of a relationship whatever it is um 
if we numb ourselves, we're denying that mourning because it, we are almost acknowledging us to stay in that place of numbness. So you can't move forward with being numb. So, uh, yeah, I do. Um, what would you say is uh, the most important reason to acknowledge or to mourn mm. the death of, let's just say it takes something that's, that's a little uh, less um, obvious, uh, like a dream. Like what's, what is the importance in your, mm-hmm. from your perspective of mourning that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, um, the importance in at least like if you had a dream, like I had a dream of being a college athlete that never happened in my life. Um, and I had to mourn that and acknowledge that. So I could also still acknowledge that I do have other athletic abilities mm. to move forward. So I think the point of mourning is to acknowledge that whatever happened, say a dream or a goal that you had didn't come true, um, to mourn that in a way that allows you to continue to dream. Because Mm. if we don't mourn it and don't give it that proper, I would say sadness um, to a degree, we, we are stuck there like, I was never a college athlete and I, 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 I keep it there. Like I don't allow myself to move forward and be like, but this is what else my body can do. I don't have to be a college athlete or have that title to be able to do other cool things physically um, that are just as challenging as being a college athlete. Hmm. So I think with, there's a time and a place morning and it sets you up for the next step in life but if we stay there through any type of substance of numbing we can't move and progress Mm. if that makes sense it sounds like what you're saying is the the process of of mourning something of that nature ultimately leads to freedom yes okay no it totally makes sense yeah yeah. yeah, and I think that the same is true of uh, the death of a loved one, or the death mm-hmm. of a relationship, or the end of a job, or mm-hmm. yeah. No, I I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. Can you um talk a little bit more about your stay at the monastery? Sure. Yeah. Um, what would you like to know? Well, how do you like? What inspired you to do this? Death. Okay. <laughs> While we're on the topic. Right. <laughs> So my, my aunt passed away in 2000 Okay. and uh, I was just a, a really busy human being trying to figure out my life and mm-hmm. um, I had tons of stuff going on and I was running just like everybody else and I just kept feeling something boil up inside of me after she passed mm-hmm. and I didn't know what to do with it <clears throat> and there was a teacher I had had at West Valley College who uh, he would always talk about this monastery he would go to. And, and I remember when he would come back from retreats, he would just have this kind of glow about him. And I remember thinking, someday I'm going to go there. I'm going to go there someday. And fortunately, my mother worked at West Valley College. So one day I just had this crazy idea that I'd, I'd call my mom and ask her to get the information from Randy. And she did. And uh, I called up the monastery and 
I got basically an answering machine and left them a message. Uh, and then I got a call back from Father Isaiah and uh, I told him I was interested in doing a four day retreat. He said, well, we don't have anything, but we'll put you on the waiting list. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so it was the week before I wanted to do the retreat. I got a call back from him and he said, well, uh, we have those dates available now, but uh, you'll have to spend two of them in one room and the last two in a different room. And I thought, who cares? Mm -hmm. Like, what's, what's the big deal with that? I said, that's fine. I'll, I'll come. And so it was right before Christmas. It was actually over the solstice, the winter solstice. Okay. And I went up there and I, I had the most profound release because what I realized was I was avoiding mourning. I was avoiding dealing with the deep sadness and the deep pain of the loss of my aunt. Mm -hmm. And I mean, let's be honest. Uh, as as boys were discouraged from crying and showing yeah. any emotion that um, makes us appear weak. Mm -hmm. In fact, I can remember getting beaten up for it. Mm -hmm. And there's probably a lot of men out there who have been beaten up for for crying. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know too many women who've ever been beaten up for crying, but maybe mm -hmm. it happens. I don't know. Um, that's not my. Experience. I think we get shamed for our we tears. Get shamed. So I you get emotionally beaten up. We yeah. get physically beaten up. Yeah, I think so. It's so if you're watching this right now and, and you've ever been emotionally or physically shamed or beaten up for crying, um, let's just take a second and let that go and, and see if we can heal from that. Mm -hmm. So one second. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we healed, but it felt good. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, so I, I cried for hours. I don't know how long it just, it just came out of me and I, I felt such a huge release and I was just amazed at how good it felt and but how difficult it was for me to let it happen, but mm -hmm. how uncontrollable it was. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was day one. And then day two, I, I found a book uh, by a gentleman named Anthony DeMello called Awareness, mm -hmm. which I highly recommend. And uh, from four o'clock when I picked the book up until probably four in the morning, I, I read the entire book. And there was just a lot of information on attachment and letting go and death and things of that nature. And it really kind of helped me process. And what I realized was that the way that my retreat was set up was for me to mourn the first two days in the room that I was in and then get to oh, go God. into a whole, a whole nother room. Yeah. Not by my doing. Right. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know that's what was happening, but when mm -hmm. I got into the other room, I understood and I spent the next few days having some profound like, gratitude appreciation for my aunt instead of feeling so sad and so angry and, all the other emotions that I was feeling. Mm -hmm. uh, I also, I, I was there when she passed. So mm -hmm. I, I watched her go. And so wow. I, I had no, I had no uh, reference for that. I didn't know how to necessarily uh, come to terms with what I had seen. Yeah. So it was a, it was a safe place for me to let go. It was a safe place for me to be able to, you know, reconcile the loss, but also to ponder what that experience was. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And so uh, that was 2000, end of 2000. I started to go more frequently. And uh, I think it was 2002, I, I went up for uh, a brief visit. I was heading up north and I stopped in to services. And I sat down and, and I looked over and, and the man sitting two people down for me uh, was a friend of mine who, who I knew from the gym that I, I first started working out at back when I was 14 years old. Mm. Yeah. And wow. yeah. And I, I was like, there's no way, there's no way it's him. And so after the service, he walked outside and I followed him out and sure enough, it was him. And, and I was just like, well, you know, what are you doing here? And he's like, well, I, I live here. I'm like, are you, are you a monk? He's like, oh, no, I, I work in the maintenance department. <laughs> I was like, what, what, what is there to maintain in a monastery? And he says, oh. Uh, there's a lot. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. oh, young man, there is much to maintain at a monastery. So <clears throat> he, he was a, a, a mentor of mine. He actually was one of the people um, who was responsible for guiding me, him and, and Mark Rifkin. Uh, mm. Mark Mark Rifkin owned the gym. Oh, okay, cool. And Wade Wade was the uh, he was the uh, maintenance guy, mm-hmm. and and they both kind of guided me towards kinesiology. And uh, anyway, so I I started going up more frequently, and and uh, as a result of knowing him, I was able to go into the cloister, which is basically behind the wall, and I started meeting the monks and oh, getting cool. to know them. Yeah, and then eventually one of them asked me if I'd ever thought about uh, spending a prolonged period of time up there. So what is prolonged mean? He said, I don't know, maybe three months or something like that. And I had a lot of excuses why, because it's a scary place. Because uh, you have to face your, like all your emotions. There's no place and to we hide. Can, <laughs> right. we, we can say your shit. You have to look at yeah. your shit. And it's, it's not, it's not it's beautiful and it's, it's amazing, but it is hard. I avoided pa- it actively for right- a while. I'm going to pause you right there and just have you rinse and repeat what you just said, just because of the internet connection. What did I tell me what I said? I, I, I don't know because I couldn't hear you. Well, what, what was I leading? How far, what did you hear? Uh, I guess is the better Something question. about your emotions and you, there's no, you have to see your shit. Yeah. You got to face your shit and it's not, yeah. it's not always pleasant and it's hard and you know, but it, it's rewarding and, and it is ultimately a worthwhile thing to do. Mm-hmm. However, that being said, I was able to avoid that for, uh, you know, another two years before I finally agreed to the invitation to come up for a prolonged period of time where um, we did it with the agreement. I, I would basically be their personal trainer. Oh, cool. Did I lose you? Okay. No, you're good. Uh, yeah. I would be their trainer and I could, I could stay in exchange for that. And uh, so I stayed for three months and um, at the end of three months, they asked if I was interested in extending my stay. And so I stayed for three more months. And then at the end of that three months, they asked if I was interested in potentially becoming a monk. And I said, let me, let me think about it. And I was pretty clear within 24 hours that that wasn't my path. <laughs> so I, I said, no, you know, I, I don't think it's, I don't think that's necessarily the direction for me. And right. but then I, I continued to go up and retreat and visit and so on and so forth. Uh, and then in 2013, um, I walked the Camino de Santiago. Are you familiar with this? No. 
Camino de Santiago is a, a 500 mile uh, pilgrimage starting in France across Spain. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I walked that and <clears throat> when you, when you, well, for me doing something like that, um, it's, it's profoundly changes you, mm -hmm. but it also makes it hard to figure out like, how do I fit again? So I decided to put myself somewhere that it would be easier to figure out what that process and experience was, but in doing so, making it even that much harder to come back out into the real world mm -hmm. and, and uh, interface with, you know, uh, consensus reality. But uh, basically when I got back from, from the Camino, um, the maintenance director at the monastery offered me a, a position in the maintenance department. Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah, I'll do that. And so I was up there for three years. And uh, fortunately, there were people who were interested in partner passing while I was there, one of them oh, being cool. uh, Chris the Cook. Uh -huh. And uh, he actually was an awesome, still is an awesome partner to pass with. But uh, that, that stint helped me really sort of solidify some of the deeper um, experiences of passing. Mm -hmm. versus my earlier years were more about how do I figure out the patterns and, mm, right. and how do how do I string these all together and what's the sequence and more like the structure of it yeah and this yeah. was more like the the heart and soul of it yeah and then coming out of the monastery was more like um how do I teach this to people like mm -hmm. how do I how do I share this and I'm still in that process of understanding what's the best way to get this into people's hands yeah. But it, so that comes full circle to your initial question of can people uh, train with each other and test with each other? Um, yes, eventually that will be a way Yeah. in the beginning. So what I saw when I did the last full hour of passing was a group of between 12 and 16 main instructors mm -hmm. who all come through passing with me. Mm -hmm. And then we all pass for an hour with each other. So everybody in that group knows each other has a strong mm -hmm. connection and understands where that person's coming from because mm -hmm. I think when you get into organizations like this as they grow mm -hmm. uh, they get so big that people don't know who each other are like one of the yeah things with strong versus I don't I don't know who a lot of people are mm -hmm. they don't know who I am and I don't really have a, a relationship with them but I'm I'm a relational person so mm -hmm. I would prefer to have you know, more connection that way versus mm -hmm. um, not. So mm -hmm. that's sort of the, the bigger vision of it. And then, as I mentioned, having those people bring people through and yeah, eventually cool. having people go through it on their own. Yeah. I love it. That's great. Um, I, this happens. I, I swear this happens to me at least once a show. Um, I have a question and it escapes my mind. <laughs> That's okay. Um, I don't remember what I was going to ask you. Oh, um, more books that you recommend. You said awareness. I love awareness. Um, the I Ching is a great book. What one is it? E it's not, it, it is, it's a great book. I Ching. I Ching. I Ching. Um, what else did I enjoy? There's a book called Philokalia. 
it's a series of, I think, six books, but it, it's basically the, the early Christian mystics and saints. Um, mm. And the, early, the earlier books are, are pretty cool. It's all, it's all about love. Mm. So most books about love I'm into. Yeah. Um, the Tao Te Ching is an awesome book. What else? Oh, the lazy man's guide to enlightenment is awesome. What is it? The lazy man's guide to enlightenment. Okay. I'm just writing these down. Oh, this is what the question I was thinking of. Um, I know the time that you come to Seattle, you host it at Golden Gardens. Um, in the sand and you do a lot of from what I've seen of your work um, you do a lot of this stuff outside what is the importance of training kettlebells and that connection with um, not just the person who's in front of you but also the connection to the earth yeah so there's a, a few few reasons um, before I get into the importance the mm. reason the main the main reason I do it uh, outside is in sand because sand is the safest place for somebody to drop a bell. Mm -hmm. um, if you drop a bell on grass, it leaves a big divot. Mm -hmm. If you drop a bell on a rubber mat, it takes a weird hop and hits you in the ankle. Mm -hmm. um, if you do it on cement, you can chip the cement. So the, the main purpose is simply to keep people safe. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but you were saying, oh, yeah, you see, you see in the comments, uh, a lot of people say, oh, my God, I, I would be so afraid of my toes. And, and that's, oh. a huge, that's a huge fear for people. Right. Um, so, so surface of, of passing is, is a big consideration for me when bringing beginners into the fold. Mm -hmm. um, now, beyond that, I, I love being in nature because you have to engage with the elements. Mm -hmm. So you, you, again, it's an, it's another degree that you have to let go of control. Mm -hmm. Like I don't have a thermostat. I, I don't determine, you know, mm -hmm. if it's going to rain, like last Sunday, it rained, it hailed. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we had to make the decision. Are we going to throw in the rain for an hour? Or are we going to mm -hmm. wait and see if it clears up? What are we going to yeah. do? Yeah. Um, so I, I think if you, if you, Think of like chi, you know, you mm -hmm. can collect chi in nature. You can collect it anywhere. You can, and you can also mutually um, cultivate it together. So it's mm -hmm. mutual energy cultivation anyways, mm -hmm. but why not take advantage of the energy of nature and bring that in as well, instead of, mm -hmm. you know, being indoors. So, um, but I still love to throw indoors too. Mm -hmm. uh, but if I have a choice, I prefer to be outdoors. Mm -hmm. And that's the main reason. You can really tap into the vibe of a place. Mm -hmm. And you can really kind of connect in a way that, that maybe you could do when you're hiking. But hiking is more like the relationship between you and the place you're hiking. Mm -hmm. And maybe you're hiking with friends and joking and talking, but it's not as intense. Mm -hmm. But with passing, it's, it's intense with you and your partner but you also start to, you can see that you're not separate. Mm -hmm. You're not this, this 
little island that you're you're a part of this bigger thing and that it's feeding you and that mm -hmm. it's interfacing and interacting with you as as you interface and interact with it mm -hmm. so that's a that's a big part of why i i like to promote outdoor training with kettlebells or anything really but mm -hmm. specifically with what i do because of yeah the relational capabilities that it it promotes mm -hmm. I think there's a lot to be said about being outside and being barefoot and being grounded. I think that's one of the main reasons why I love the kettlebell so much because you can easily just take a kettlebell to the beach. Um, right. and for those who have watched my social media accounts, like there's, I don't know how many times, like once the sun's out, like I almost took one of my bells to the beach it was way too windy today with it being nice out. But um, I think that's one of the things that I love and that has helped me heal in a way that I didn't even know I needed healing. Like I was injured at one point in my career where I needed to be outside. Like my body just craved to be outside and I didn't need to do any of my workouts around the gym I was at because it just wasn't a healthy environment for me. So I was just like, okay, well, the only other place for me right now is nature. Um, and that's where I think with being outside, it really grounds you back to who you are because you have to feel with your senses. Um, I remember like doing farmer's walks at one of the parks and like not being on like a straight terrain um, and realizing, oh, hey, I have to really focus in on where I'm putting my step, each step versus like mm. being on a turf inside a gym. Um, so I think it just heightens the awareness in such a way that no other facility can. Um, and again, the more awareness, the more healing people can have with that. Totally. Did you, um, did you heal from your injury fully? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> are, you um, still, are you still dealing with that? Well, let's say I've always had some type of injury that I've dealt with. Um, I wouldn't say I'm like, I'm always at like a 90% healed with my injuries because there's, there's always some flare ups that will come up again. So was it something you sustained water skiing or how did you? Um, I, it was overtraining. It was a lot of tr both. Uh, yeah. yeah. So both. That, that's, that's the challenge of like being a physical being, right? Yeah. Like, right you're kind of constantly in, in like a minor state of injury because you like doing shit. Right. You know? <laughs> but that's the beauty <laughs> of the kettlebells. Like it keeps you all together. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are like way over time. Do you have anything that you would like to add as we finish up? Now, this has been really cool. I've, I've enjoyed our, our conversation and learning about you more and, and, um, you, I, I appreciate your, uh, your questions and, and your mindful attitude. Awesome. Well, cool. Yeah. Well, listeners, uh, thank you so much for tuning in this. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you give it the love with the five stars and a comment and share it out with your family and friends until next time. I'll be back next week and we're peacing out. Hey, Strong Ones, I have some really exciting news for you guys. I am hosting the Women of Iron Strength 
retreat. This is for women who love lifting heavy, who love kettlebells, and also want to learn and progress their movement skills with the pistol squat, the pull-up, and the kettlebell press. I'll be hosting this with Ann Cass Stevens down at her gym, Team Muscle Bus, in Salt Lake City, June 22nd and 23rd. So we'll be mainly focusing on those three movements, really diving into those and allowing you, giving you the skills and the tips for you can progress very quickly. We will also be diving in a little bit with the strong first level one and level two movement and skills with those. This is not a Strong First event. It is just a retreat hosted by two Strong First instructors who are passionate about these three lifts, who want to empower women to feel comfortable and confident to be able to do a pistol squat, a pull-up, and a press. This retreat is not just getting PRs in those three lifts, but it's also getting PRs in life. PRs with new friendships, a new mental toughness, and a new level of emotional stamina as well. So come join us, me and Ann Cass Stevens down at her gym, Team Muscle Bus, Salt Lake City area, June 22nd to 23rd. If you have questions about this event, Let's connect. I'm on Instagram at Anna underscore Willard underscore. Hit me up in the DMs. You can find me on Facebook. Again, Anna Willard. Send me a private message. Or if you like the traditional way of connecting through email, my email is coachwillard10 at gmail.com. If you have questions about this event, please let me know. Other than that, more information is down in the show notes. Again, this is an event for women hosted by women to get some PRs in lifting and some PRs in life. Other than that, strong ones, you guys have a wonderful week and blessings on your journey.